0: Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics.
1: Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom.
0: It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and with me today is Dr. Norman Horn, and today we have two special guests. Armand Boudreau and Corey Lotta. They are co authors of a book called Titans How Superheroes Can Help Us Make Sense of a Polarized World. So, Armand, would you uh, introduce yourself for us and tell us a, uh, a little bit about, about you?
2: Sure. Um, I'm Armand. I'm an assistant professor of English at uh, East Georgia State College in Swainsboro, Georgia. I, um, I've got sort of a, a mixed professional background. My degree is, my PhD is in fiction writing. Um, but I also studied early modern British literature. I've got three books out, including the one that we're talking about in this podcast, and they're all in three very different areas. Uh, my first book was a novel called That He May Raise, just sort of a, it was a literary novel, sort of in the style of let's say Flannery O'Connor. I have a, a book called Animus: Little Gods, which is a, a dark fantasy uh, set in a post-apocalyptic future. So, you know, big jump there. And then, and then I have this book about superheroes and politics.
1: Hey, I'm Corey Latta. Um, my background is in literary studies and uh, before that religious studies. So I have my PhD in early 20th century British literature came to that via religious studies and particularly New Testament studies with a little bit of philosophy and uh, theology thrown in there. I am the author of five books, including this one, um, some in the area of theology and biblical studies and then uh, some in the area of early 20th century literature, and one of my primary figures I work on is C.S. Lewis, so I've got a book on C.S. Lewis and um, The Art of Writing, and a book on uh, C.S. Lewis's Theology of Time. And yeah, met actually met Bo uh, in our doctoral program, so we were at school together at the University of Southern Mississippi.
0: You know, we're having you on today to talk about your book, Titans, which I strongly recommend. Both Norman and I have, have read it, and we just have thoroughly enjoyed it. Read it pretty quickly because it was just kind of the material that we we like to read,
3: and uh, it's just it's just fun to read. And to their credit, it's easy reading, too. It's It's not difficult to get into, and you'll have a fun time getting through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was very fun. Uh, in fact, my son, who uh, is is sort of into this kind of stuff too, he was always asking me, like, "Well, Dad, what, are you are you reading that book about about superheroes, about comics?" Hmm. Uh, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's what I'm reading because I'm reading. I was reading on my iPad." You know, one of the things that some people might wonder is, like, you know, why why are we talking about superheroes on a podcast that is often about Christianity and libertarianism? And I think that might become evident later. But you know what? This is just. This is just a fun topic to
3: talk about, and this is our podcast, and we're going to talk about something really fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, and and there's and really, when it comes down to it, there's a lot that we can gain um, from even these stories to to elucidate the way we think about moral values, the way we think about politics, and the way we think about even our faith on some level. And uh, and these guys are are perfect to kind of explore that with us. And uh, so so let me again, you know, uh, say thank you guys for joining us as well. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: I don't want to try to convince anybody that they should start becoming like interested in superheroes and like just go back and read every comic that was ever written or anything like that. But I do know a lot of people see movies, and Marvel is doing really wonderful in Hollywood right now. They're like the hottest studio out there. They're making lots of money. They're, they're hitting people where, you know, what they want to see. They're doing really well. Uh, and people are just really into superheroes. Um, but it's more than just entertainment. But a lot of people will complain and say the people who aren't interested, they'll be like, well, it's not really about the real world uh, because these people are either from another galaxy or they have, you know, they're not just stronger humans. They're superhuman or they're something altogether different. So what is what is the value in watching a movie like this or even reading the comics?
2: I think when people, uh, when people say that it's not, it's not about the real world, you know, there's, there's nothing there that can, they can really teach me anything about, you know, what it means to live in this world. uh, I would, I immediately think of a book called civil war. Uh, it's a, it's a Marvel comics book. Uh, it was a big crossover event that involved almost every character, uh, that they, you know, that they have in their, in their universe. And, and I think that, that was the book that taught me that yeah this this is about this is about the real world it's about what it means to be human and and to live in a society with other people uh, and to you know try to, to to deliberate with other people about how we ought to how we ought to order our lives together um, the 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 basic story uh, I know a lot of people have probably seen the movie that came out in 2016 the that movie is very loosely based on. Uh, the comic book. What happens in the comic book is, you have a a group of young heroes who they they act irresponsibly uh, in going after uh, some bad guys, and I mean they have good intentions, but what their actions ultimately lead to the to the destruction of a of an elementary school in Connecticut um, and the deaths of you know hundreds of people, and uh, as a response to this. Uh, the, the American government, with the, the full support of, of the American people, they passed the, a Superhero Registration Act, which is uh, basically what it does is it is it, it requires all superpowered people to register with the government, reveal their secret identities. And then from that point forward, if they're gonna act as heroes, they're gonna operate as heroes, they have to do so under the authority of the of the federal government. Essentially they become, you know, super police or uh, you know, a super national guard or something like that. And they, they only ever they can only ever act uh, with uh, with the uh, the authorization of the, the American government. Well, this splits the heroes down down the middle. Uh, uh, the ones who support registration, who think that this is a good idea, they fall in line behind Iron Man, who becomes sort of the the face of the pro-registration movement. And then you have uh, Captain America. Who sides against the government? Who's who says no? This is not a good idea. Uh, there, there are a lot of dangers in doing this. Uh, it takes away uh, the freedom of you know, the freedom of the heroes. It takes away their freedom of choice. Uh, you know, before they can do a good deed, they have to ask for permission to do it. There are all, all sorts of problems with this, and a bunch of a bunch of the heroes fall in line behind it, behind him, and so you have this big conflict over whether or not you know the state has the authority. Uh, to to regulate superheroes. That was one of the first comic books that I read. and when I read it, I thought, my goodness, this is America. this is what what it feels like to live in America right now because it's not the good guys versus the bad guys. it's the good guys versus the good guys. It's you know it's decent people uh, with very different ideas about how society ought to be ordered uh, and that you know I thought that's that's exactly what it feels like to live in America right now. So yeah, I would say that these books have tremendous relevance to um to the real world.
3: So in other words, there's always and and this happens all over comics from whether you're reading them from the 60s and 70s or now, there are issues that are happening in our society today that are kind of being reflected in a in a world that they're rewriting for our sake in order to elucidate issues in a particular light. Uh, yes, that- absolutely. Yeah, so if that's a, you I know, mean, if that's a fair description, then then that gives us kind of a a really interesting take on the value of these types of stories to provide us with narratives that help us identify ourselves in in different ways. Not in the sense of of uh, I guess like identity politics. I don't mean that. I mean more like they they give us uh, they give us words to speak or narratives to to fall back upon that illustrate. Um the types of values that we want to hold that we're trying to work ourselves through right yeah i th- I think that's absolutely absolutely right that these these
1: stories are about i mean essentially all story is about the self and the other um, and I don't know that there's a genre or a kind of literature kind of medium that exploits, and I mean that in the in the best possible way in the good sense but, of exploit, yeah right. right. <laughs> Um, the heroic sense. Um, I, I don't know of a, of a medium that exploits what it means to be a self in a world of the other and how you negotiate that relationship and the conflict, um, what it means to be uh, a moral being in a, a very gray, a or immoral world. So I, I just don't know of a medium that, that uh, exploits in the, in, the, in the best possible sense what it means to be a self in the world of the other, what it means to be a moral agent in an a or immoral world. Um, what it means to form identity. Uh, I just don't know of a medium that does that better than this very hyperbolic animated world of the comic. Um, it's just to me, the, the best thing going in terms of presenting identity. And again, not, not in the sense, as you mentioned of identity politics, but just identity of the self. Um, in a world of multiple identities and how those things uh, play against one another, often violently and often peacefully as well.
0: And this isn't an actually a new phenomenon where we have myth that uh, humans and civilizations look to to find find identity uh, in the ways that we're talking about here. I mean, we have the epics, uh, we have ancient ancient epics, we have all kinds of myths there's Norse mythology, there's Greek mythology, there's Egyptian mythology. I mean, there's mythologies everywhere. all around the world, everywhere that date back to antiquity. And so this is this isn't like new. This isn't like, hey, there's this new genre, although it is a new genre in a lot of ways. Uh it's not a new phenomenon that this that this right. exists. Um uh, and so myth is very powerful and I would like to hear a little bit more from you like what what makes this so powerful for an individual to engage engage
2: with. If you look at at the way people talk about comics, especially people who take the comics very seriously, like, like Corey and I do, um, you know, it's common for people to say this is, this is the American mythology. Um, and I mean, it's almost a cliche that people don't really stop to think about or stop to explain what they mean when they say that. And it, and the thing that strikes me about, about superheroes is just that These stories are about what it means to be us, what it means to be human. Uh, And ultimately, that's what that's what mythology is about. You know, mythology, uh, it encodes, it encapsulates, um, it dramatizes everything that we care about and everything that we believe about ourselves. That was true of the, you know, the ancient Greeks. Uh, It's very much true about about superhero stories. They're, you know, they're here to dramatize our aspirations, but are also here to dramatize our fears. Uh, they're here to tell us, uh, what we, as Corey was saying, what we, what we think about living in a world with, with others. Um, they're here to, you know, teach us what we think about ourselves. Uh, and we need those kinds of stories. Um, and the other thing about them, about you know this this mythology, is that they're myth in the sense that they're not like you take a I don't know pick any work of popular work of fiction like say the Harry Potter series, uh, you know those are the work of of one author, but with with superhero stories, I mean we you know those of us who care about comics, we look back to uh, original original creators like Jack Kirby, um, you know Joe Simon. Uh, the uh, Siegel and Schuster, the create, uh, creators of Superman, um, you know, we look back at them with reverence and we, and we think of them as somehow owning these these characters that they created, like Superman, Captain America, um, the Fantastic Four. But, you know, at some point, these characters stop being the product of any one person's imagination and and they become the, the product of, of – Many, many creators over a long span of the time, plus the you know the fans themselves. I mean, the, the fans have a, uh, a tremendous role in the direction that these that these characters take and the, the the persona that they that they have. And I think that that's an important part of what it means for a story to be a to be a myth is that it's you know communally produced. It it really is the story of the civilization that produces it.
3: So guys, I, I think it's worthy to note here as well that in some respects, um, we identify all as Christians here, and we take the Bible as a set of narratives that that in, in many respects defines who we are in ways that um, no, none of these contemporary myths ever really could. Um, but it is re- a good reminder, I think, to, to recall that the Bible is meant to Encode and do all of these these similar things that you are uh, describing here in these contemporary myths in an even more heightened manner sometimes, and uh, and and you know and not in not in the so we can call it a myth but not in the sense of it's something untrue but rather it is the content that is being communicated, and so is there is there anything about that that, that you guys feel is you know something that you would want to remind everybody about uh, through even thinking about even these contemporary myths um. You know, and how we view even the scriptures these days.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, thinking about like the work of a Joseph Campbell or something like that, who kind of helped give language this idea of monomyth, you know, the one story that just is told again and again and again. And I think there are deep, deep, deep roots um, in the Judeo-Christian narrative. There are myths that predated uh, the you know Old Testament. There are myths that predate the Book of Genesis. Books like Job, which is probably as early as Genesis, but they predate really only in actual composition. Um, something like the Epic of Gilgamesh, the the oral tradition that was floating around with you know the flood story in um, Genesis six, or the story of you know a fall from grace, or even kind of like the theodicy of a of a Job, uh, those, those myths, um, I mean, they, they, they sort of run parallel, the myths of like a Gilgamesh and the the myths that went into making the Judeo-Christian uh, story. Now, as you said, like when we say myth here, we're not saying that the book of Genesis um, isn't untrue or Job isn't, uh, you know, or is, is it true? We're not saying that there's any kind of falsehood there. We're saying that these are stories that, like Bo said, were produced by a community that we're made to find ourselves in and that future generations and future communities are made to find themselves in. Um, so the, the, the stories we tell now in one way really do sort of plant themselves in the soil of uh, the geo-Christian narrative. Uh, one of the chapters I wrote in the book was about, um, I kind of tackled some on-screen adaptations or iterations of the heroic. And when I did, I just a really big fan of the Daredevil show on Netflix. And uh, I love the, the Daredevil mythos as a whole. And one way I think to understand that myth, because I really do think there is essentially only one story, I think it is kind of the hero story. I really think our lives even work out this way. We're sort of the hero of our own, of our own lives and we fight ourselves on this kind of quest. Um, the story of Daredevil to me was, was just a retelling of the prodigal. That there is this kind of um, loss and this uh, exilic feel where he separated from his father and um, is sort of just a wandering, prodigal spirit given to violence, turmoil, conflict, and that the, the real tension and beauty and drawl of the a, of a daredevil is, uh, there's a great moment in the, in the Gospel of Luke when we, when we find the, the prodigal story that when he's sort of laying in the, in the mire and in the, in the slop, the text tells us, Jesus says, he came to himself and then begins to make his trek back to the father. And I think the real tension and the beauty and the agony of a daredevil is you see the character sort of come to himself. he's got this kind of moral imperative. Uh, It's a messy one and it's a controversial one. And you see him as he comes to himself sort of walk his life back toward a kind of home and represented uh, in large part by the priest. That is the Judeo-Christian story. It's not just a prodigal going home, it's the entire Christian canon I mean, th- this is the story told from Genesis to Revelation that we were exiled from a place of belonging and acceptance, uh, that we were meant to be contained and to belong, to be home. Um, that one of those damning phrases in all of scripture is in Genesis four, when we're told that Cain dwelt east of Eden, of course, the great right. novels uh, named after that. that that's, a, that's a haunting phrase. Um, we're made to be in Eden, not dwell east of it. So you see this remove that carries the nation of Israel all through uh, the wilderness wanderings, um, all through the struggle to inhabit the land, all through their exiles, and um, God's desire to bring them back in. So all of a sudden the New Testament picks this up. We are now not just made to belong spatially. We're not just made to belong in a promised land or inhabit a, a tabernacle or a temple. now. I think 165 times Paul uses the phrase "we are in Christ." In Christ, yeah, right. So now we're made to spiritually, not just spatially, belong. And then what are we given in Revelation? I mean, uh, here you are at the climax of the entire Bible. Revelation 21 gives you one of the most boring, tedious passages in all of the Bible. <laughs> We're all the dimensions of the new Jerusalem. Who cares? I don't care that it's 144,000 stadia and it has 12 gates. What does that matter to us? Well, it's a very, very important passage given the overall myth of scripture. And that yeah. is John relating to his audience that, uh, you know, via this vision that you are going to belong very specifically, that there are walls and boundaries and borders, and you're going to go right back into this place of containment, uh, Properly being a creature, um, and, and that, that's exactly it's the hero's return. It's the hero's journey and going back home. You know, it's it's a uh, it's Daredevil making his way back to the priest. Um, and I think that story plays itself out again and again and again and again in superhero myth. But we really cannot understand just just chronologically, historically, culturally, we can't understand these modern retellings of the hero's journey without understanding the source. And in large part, that source is Judeo-Christian
3: that's that's a really fascinating way of, of envisioning Daredevil and uh, I'm you know that's a it's a really neat chapter and uh, and I you know I can't I can't wait to get through it a little more after even hearing you talk about it uh, in, in here um, one one thing I'd like to kind of get to then is uh, you know as we as we approach these new newfangled myths if you will um, is that you know, you guys talk in the book about how comics and these superhero stories uh, build up a moral world and, and they allow us to kind of have a, a moral playground with which to play with ideas. And uh, so kind of talk, can you guys talk about that? And, and, you know, why is that important that we have this opportunity to have a moral playground that's kind of not set in our normal day and time?
2: Go for it, Beth. Well, well, for one thing, it's, it's a whole lot safer. Uh, to to <laughs> yeah you know to be able to figure this stuff out uh, on the page or on the screen uh, rather than have to figure it out in the real world. Uh, the, the, the book that really turned me on to thinking about comics in this way is a book called Kingdom Come uh, right. by Mar- Mark Wade and Alex Ross. And the thing that struck me reading that book was that uh, it you have four different groups of people, in, in in some ways, it's a lot like civil war, where you, where it's really not really a conflict between bad guys and good guys, but a conflict between between uh, groups of people that have different ideas about how to order order the world. Um, you you have these four different groups: uh, the Justice League, led by Superman and Wonder Woman. Uh, you have a group called the Outsiders, led by like, by Batman. You have a group called the Mankind Liberation Front, and I guess they really are bad guys. And then you have the United Nations, sort of standing in for regular human beings. You know, each of these four four groups of people ha- they have different ways of uh, thinking about what it means to be free. You know, Superman thinks of freedom as uh, it, it, for him, it means you know it's positive freedom. It's it's the freedom to be a hero. You know, he he wants everybody to be free to be a hero. But what that means is you have to obey certain rules. Um, with for Batman, he thinks he thinks of freedom as something more like freedom from the fear of uh, being hurt by your fellow citizens. Um, then you have you have the Mankind Liberation Front uh, led by Lex Luthor, who's a classic. Superman villain, uh, you know he seems to see freedom primarily in terms of power. You know, it. it I, I have freedom when I have power uh, over over the way society is ordered and and over other people as well. And then you have the the UN who uh, have been. It's sort of rendered powerless, and they think that humanity's been rendered powerless because they're surrounded by all these superpower beings. Um, they think of, of freedom as power too, but in a really resentful way. Um, there's a moment where Superman and Wonder Woman come to the UN to, to sort of consult with the, the Security Council. And the, the members of the council respond, you know, really uh, sarcastically and resentfully because, you know, they say, oh, it's uh, it's great that you finally, you know, decided that you ought to talk to us about what's going on in, in our world. Um, and so what, the way the, the conflict of the book plays out, you get to see what are the consequences of each of these different ways of, of thinking about freedom, um, because I, I think a lot of what goes on in Real world political conflicts, I I think a lot of it comes down finally to what people mean when they say freedom, because I don't think everybody means the same thing. Uh, And so, you know, we get to if you want to read a book like Kingdom Come, well, it'll it will let you. See what that what those conflicts look like in a dare I use the phrase a safe space uh, before we see them play out in the real world.
3: I, th- I think we're okay to say that here. We can do <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good to kind of point that out because you know you're right that these that these uh, stories give us opportunities to engage with ideas in a in a way that is while you know the books are are explorations of uh, of consequences of what happens when certain ideas are followed through upon for us as we're experiencing them reading them the consequences are low uh per se we're trying to learn something from them so that that's a consequence we're learning but overall there's no life or death situation that's about to result from it uh unless you just decide that as a result of reading superman you think you should be able to fly off the empire state building but that's a whole nother story (laughs) hey folks norman horn here from lci Would you do us a quick favor and rank us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to us? High rankings help us get the word out. And now let's get back to the show. You know, but that gives us a, you know, that's a really good point though, is that, you know, morally speaking, we don't always have good answers, um, to varieties of situations. We don't always have all of these ideas worked out in our own minds and we need to have narratives put before us at times that give us opportunities to engage and, and learn something that we didn't, that we didn't have before, or gain a new perspective. Uh, so I appreciated, you know, the way you guys went about that in the book. Um, and there's, you know, there's, and there's so many things. I mean, we we haven't. I, I mean, I love the way that you guys approached. You really, you know, uh, engaged with like DC and Marvel in the book. But there's other oper- There's lots of other things, that, you know, and comics out there too that give uh, that you, that you guys didn't even uh, a, a attack. And it's mm-hmm. at some someday I'd love to get you guys on the, uh, you know, in a conversation about V for Vendetta or, or even, uh, Alan Moore's Watchmen. Watchmen. Yeah. Which yeah. you guys alluded to a little bit, but, uh, I don't think, yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot in there about it, uh, or, or, uh, reading, you know, Neil Gaiman's the Sandman or something to that effect. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities in these media to explore different types of narratives and different types of moral questions. And, uh, and so it's, it's paying attention to those things is, uh, is where is really where it's at. And that's, where you can go beyond just uh, reading for the sake of it's a it's a fun picture book, um, but you can gain something very different than what you get even out of uh, just normal narratives, and and you know certainly better than your latest uh, rom com or or, uh, or sitcom on Thursday night. Uh, you know, so that's that's such a that's such a neat thing that I w- I hope people will get out of this is that there's opportunities in these narratives to to gain something uh, that you wouldn't normally get. Yeah,
2: absolutely. That, and for me, uh, one the, I mean, the great thing about I mean, you you mentioned how how much. Of this material there is out there, you know, what that what that means is there's really there's something for everybody and for every, uh, you know, every concern that you might have. I mean, you know, when I talked about Kingdom Come just now, I mean, that's a really, really philosophical book. But you have uh, you have other books like, say, Civil War or the sequel to a sequel to it called Civil War II. Yeah, they, I mean, there there are philosophical issues to to deal with there, but they they ground them in this really practical reality. Um, you know, one of the most one of my favorite chapters to write uh, was the one about Civil War II, uh, because it was about an issue that was you know just a really immediate concern. That book, oh yeah, deals with the the you know the problem of of. You know, data collection and uh, interpreting data in order to try to predict what people are going to do. You know, re- reading that book and then writing that chapter in light of you know Edward Snowden and, and what he revealed to us, and you know all the rev- recent revelations about, uh, or I would or rather maybe I should say confirmation. I think we've all known this for a yeah. long time about social media. You know what Facebook does with our data. What, you know what Twitter and all these other these other social media companies do with our data. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun to write that chapter. And, and there are a lot of comics out there that, you know, that take this stuff and yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's philosophical. It's, it's, you know, it's high level, but it, but they, they do a good job of, and, and it might be something that's unique to mythology or unique to even the, you know, the superhero genre. You can take this stuff and you can ground it into, in something that that's very practical and easily accessible, uh, and it you know makes sense in a in a, uh, a real world context I guess
3: yeah it I mean just sort of a minor aside in Civil War Two when when it basically becomes evident that the mutant that has this knowledge of the future uh, is essentially is essentially agglomerating massive amounts of data in order to, in, in order to make the prediction of what's going to happen in the future. And that's what, you know, essentially the minority report, you know, narrative of the right. whole thing is, is built upon this idea that if we know the future a little bit, Oh, maybe we can prevent it or things like that. You, you kind of, right. I mean, it, he's suddenly, basically a living algorithm. Yeah. And and it's very much like if you've seen the movie minority report, it's, it's kind of that sort of thing, yeah, um, right. but like, it, when it's revealed that that's what's going on and it's just, it's a, it's a massive big data problem that he's solving in his brain. Right. It's just like, Oh my goodness. They yeah. really, they, they talk about dropping a prescient problem about what's going on right now. Yeah. I mean, just search you know, you Google search a big data moral issues right now and you'll find article after article in every single major publication of talking about what's going on here because nobody knows on some level what to do with some of this. And so a, being able to explore it in this sense was very interesting. And it's yeah. a, what a great way of, uh, of getting a, you know, making a, an interesting contemporary point when ad- addressing a moral issue.
2: Right. And that's what I thought was brilliant about civil war too. Cause I know when it, the series was first announced. I saw a lot of comics fans, you know, groan like, Oh no, no we're, we're doing this re- again. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're doing minority report again. And mm-hmm. the thing that I thought was, was great about civil war Two is that, okay, it, it took the basic idea that comes from the Philip, Philip K Dick uh, short story. And then the, the Tom Cruise movie. Yes, that's true. But what Bendis does in that book is he, as he takes it, takes the idea and he shows how it could actually work in the real world. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a psychic that's doing it. It's essentially a guy who can do what a computer algorithm does. You know what? You know, when you go uh, search for something on eBay and then you see ads for it on on Facebook or on Twitter or wherever. I mean, he's
3: doing what that does mm-hmm. uh, only in a more advanced way. And it, and it also kind of, you know, this leads us in, in a way into a into, a, uh, you know, perhaps the, the most important important part of, of our podcast, at least as a, as a, as an organization where we talk about politics, because, you know, superheroes like this have power, uh, and, and power in ways in which normal people kind of don't, right. Mm -hmm. That they're, they're either they're mutants or they're geniuses that invent amazing suits of armor, or they have, uh, varying, you know uh, abilities added on to them uh, from whether bitten by a spider or you know hit by x-rays or whatever, right that the the origin story really isn't that important anymore <laughs> in, in in that respect. Right. but rather, you know that there's something different. And that has interesting political ramifications on some level because this you – know, the state uh, it, it, you know, from a basic definition is, is one that is a, a group of people that claim a monopoly on the use of force and, uh, and that puts them apart uh, from normal people on some level and so exploring how an individual who has certain power a, above and beyond uh that of a, of the, the group around them um, is is kind of important here and so you know that that's just sort of on a high level that's kind of what's going on uh, from even a political point of view but then then you get even deeper and you talk about the the political uh, the political ramifications of the world around them that they're interacting with and that i mean that's the point of civil war civil war two, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, as I mentioned, all sorts of different things. This is always a prescient point in comics in general. Yeah. Uh, so guys, where do you, where do you kind of start with when you start talking about politics and comics of all things? I mean, some people would say, Hey, this is, this is just the fun reading material. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing to do here. We're just, uh, about politics. But what would you guys say is where, where one should start? Think about politics sort of deriving from this idea of the polis and
1: the polis uh, in Greek being, you know, a community or a, a city comprised of its citizens. I mean, on the most basic level, politics is just about how you conduct yourself in the city, how you are and how you act and how you project yourself as a citizen. So in that sense, to tell a story about kind of going back to where we we're saying about the self and the other, but to tell a story about one person in life among other people living their lives is a political story. I and mean, that's essentially what, um, the polis first and foremost is, but then, uh, you know, life among other lives, uh, is, is it that simple? It's not just communal there begin to be formed, uh, hierarchies and, and, uh, policies and, you know, sort of best practices and, and things like that to determine, regulate, and make more efficient life in the polis. So I, I think the first point of contact is comic books address that. What makes comic books different from some sort of realistic, you know, fiction is um, how high the stakes are. The stakes are raised because it's not just a uh, quote-unquote normal person who's um, – Capacity can somewhat match his character. A superhero, by definition, is someone whose capacity exceeds, or at least um, very likely to exceed, his uh, his character. So, you know, what makes somebody like a Superman so uh, compelling to me, anyway, as a big Superman fan, is how his character and his capacity seem to run sort of neck and neck. But then you take someone like a Tony Stark, or. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying uh, Bo and I were just talking the other day about this new Doctor Strange run. It's the it's sort of the basic, it's almost like the first Thor movie. It's the basic hero's fall because of pride and ego. So Stephen Strange, extremely full of himself, uh, first issue, experiences something really humiliating, and then has to uh, build his character up to the level of his capacity. Um, what makes superhero stories so interesting and fun is, you know, what might we do if our capacity could exceed our character? Like, what do you do with power? It, it's it's um, hard enough. I was going to say it's easy, but it's really not. It's hard enough to just sort of be a uh, a, a well-meaning, productive, responsible citizen in the police, uh, you know, just as a normal typical person. Um, infinitely harder if you're somebody who's got the IQ and the physical prowess of a Bruce Wayne or you've got the gamma-radiated abilities of a Bruce Banner. Um, so how do you conduct yourself in the polis when you have the ability to really shape the polis or destroy the polis or bend the polis to your will? And How do you exert um, and enact meekness in that? At what point does power become completely Corrupted. And at what point should you think about like a kingdom come? At what point should you um, sort of flex your muscles to uh, create a polis that's m- most conducive for human flourishing? And that's why I think superhero stories are innately political, is because they really are just about what it means to be a citizen, um, you know, to live a responsible life, a moral life in the polis. I,
3: th- I think one of the perhaps gr- Greatest examples of that is uh, is probably Captain America, who, for a long time, I kind of I, I kind of wondered or or looked at Captain America on some level as just an agent of this an agent of the state, if you will. Mm. Um, but it, it's interesting that when you uh, well, and, and contrary to that, you know, you might look at Iron Man as being kind of this interesting entrepreneurial type of guy um, who, and so for the libertarian and in, in, in me in particular, back in back in the day, uh, as a younger libertarian back, you know, mid 2000s, uh, kind of saw that as a as a you know that's where they stood, and it was interesting in in like in the Civil War comics, which we've mentioned already, is that you know what happened in that. Was a reversal on some level, where you had Iron Man taking the side that I wasn't going to expect, and Captain America taking the uh, the the side that I wasn't going to expect out of him. Uh, that was really that's a fascinating juxtaposition there. That me being the person I was at the time was like I didn't see that coming, and so it gives you you know again opportunities to explore these ideas in in various ways and uh, and, and just. What a what an interesting kind of political bent that that took, and even in, in the the Marvel movies, you get a similar sort of thing. You know, they in the in the uh, Captain America Civil War movie, uh, which doesn't exactly follow the the comics, but has some similar ver- some pretty distinct similarities. Obviously, uh, you it's certainly the same theme. Yes, <laughs> for sure. With the Registration Act in particular, uh, you get you get again, you know, Tony Stark slash Iron Man falling on the side of registration, uh, Captain America uh, opposing it for various reasons, and and uh, I think that's that's just an interesting takeaway and uh, the, to kind of build out of that. So. The thing that that is always that always
2: attracted me to Captain America, the reason that he's uh, since I really got into comics, he almost almost immediately when I started reading comics, he was my favorite character was that, yeah, you, you expect him to be you expect him to be a nationalist. You, you expect him to be a, you know, a yes man. You expect him to be the you know, the. Um, the attack dog of the of the United States government. And that's it, it could not be further from the truth uh, right. that more than anything else. Uh, you know, He's he's loyal not to the state, uh, not to the U.S. government, but to the U.S. Constitution uh, and to the ideals that America never lives up to, but tries really hard to. Um, there's a famous uh, there's a famous issue where. Um, there's a government official trying to get cap to do something that he doesn't want to do. And, uh, the official questions caps loyalty and cap says that he's loyal to nothing except for the dream. Uh, and then there's a, there's a great speech in, uh, in a tie in issue to civil war. It's not in the civil war main series, but it's a, a an issue of Spider-Man that's connected to civil war, um, where, uh, cap says, um, and I, am I'm paraphrasing here. I'm not quoting, quoting him exactly. Uh, but he says that, uh, you know, whenever, you know, the whole world is telling you that something wrong is, is right. It's, and they tell you to move, you know, he says, uh, it's your job to plant yourself like a tree next to the river of truth and say, no, you move. And I, and I love that line and a terrific and line yeah it's a great line they use it in in the civil war movie but they leave out an important part that it that that's my one complaint about the civil war movie is that in the movie the line is it's your job to plant yourself like a tree and say no you move and i think i, I think that's a really terror. it's a terrible omission to say to leave out the uh, beside the river of truth uh, because, you know, Cap is, is, is not, he's not a radical, um, individualist. He's not, a, you know, you make your own morality kind of guy. Uh, he, he believes that there is, there's real, you know, objective morality and there are real ideals, uh, that, you know, that you ought to aspire towards as, as an American and, and as a person. Um, and that's what he stands for. Um, he's, he is captain America, but not captain the United States government. Right. Makes sense.
3: And it's, and the irony of even leaving that out. Is that like in order to say say that that there is that absolute truth that almost is the radical position now, yeah, and and that's right. uh, yeah. so it's unfortunate yeah that that was missed in there for sure but what a great line that uh that, that came out of that uh, what a, a a good thing that even all of us as libertarians could remember too is that that's that is kind of our responsibility and as Christians as well to to plant ourselves by that river and, and stand up for that truth. So good stuff. Yeah.
2: You asked earlier about how all of this sort of connects to the Bible. Uh, whenever I hear that line, I I can't help, but think of, of Psalm one. Oh yeah. Uh, and I I don't know, I doubt the writer was, was going for that connection, but I think it. I think it ends up being there, you know, whether it was intended or not. Yeah, for sure. That's great.
0: So our conversation has shifted from a lot of, you know, talk about, you know, the, the comic stories. And now we're kind of like talking a little bit more about the film. So this is kind of probably a good good direction to go with with the conversation. You know, uh, just a quick personal story. One of the things that I have done this year is with my 10 year old son we basically binge watched all of the marvel cinematic universe movies in <laughs> preparation for <laughs> going to see uh infinity war before it left theaters and uh so <laughs> we did we did lots of binge watching i think it was within like 2 to 3 month period uh we um yeah, it was it was quite a trip. And I, I actually was like really excited for a number of reasons. One of them was I would get to rewatch a couple of the movies that I had seen because I really hadn't seen most of them. I had seen them sporadically. I saw Iron Man. Um, I really was a big fan of Iron Man. I avoided Captain America for the same reason that Norman mentioned earlier that he was, you know, not really into Captain America because of the 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 uh, mis- misperception there. Uh, I had the same experience as Norman did there, uh, and so I I knew that the types of things his friends were watching the movies or had caught up and they had seen some of them along the way. But I knew that watching them with my son would give us things to talk about, would give us themes that would carry our conversation well into summer and and I'm sure well well beyond. You know, he he bought his first comic book. It was a Spider-Man comic book about two weeks ago. Um, oh, and I think there's going to be a lot of precious. themes for us to talk about (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's going to be a lot of themes to talk about and i actually did not realize and i hadn't read your books yet i haven't read your all's book yet uh and when we were kind of walking through, I mean, we we're watching three movies every weekend, like on a Saturday, and it wasn't even raining. <laughs> That's a lot of work, <laughs> uh, m- much to my wife's chagrin. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of work. No, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. But we we saw, I saw, and picked up on a lot of themes that I'm like, oh wow, we're he's dealing with this now, or there there's things that are being touched on that I can converse with him, and you know, and and <laughs> there were a few moments where I'm thankfully that joke went over his head because he wouldn't get it uh, because he's only 10 but anyway i want to lead that up to this because i know that this is this can be the kind of thing that you can talk with your kids about depending on their age and you can talk with other people about this there's a lot of topics we've talked about them already in this podcast you deal with them in your book but for those who may not go back and read comics i've actually started reading civil war uh, and am working my way through that but i'm a big fan of the movies. Uh, I want to ask your opinion about the movies second and we'll get to that but what would you want listen, our listeners to take away from whether they read your book or if they, they just finished this podcast and they start watching these movies uh, or watching them again what are they to look out for uh, and I don't mean like watch out but like what are they to look for in the in the sense of what can I gain that's more than just I want a good movie and I'm sorry listeners if now you can't just watch a good movie and not think about these things but Sorry. No, that's, that was the
3: point <laughs> of this. We're, 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 that's our surreptitious goal. Okay. Make everybody thinks Sor- so. Sorry, not sorry. How about that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I'll let either of you answer that to start. Yeah,
1: man, there's a, um, I'm such a big fan of the the MCU. And I mean, I know we're kind of, I'm, I'm really just thinking about Marvel when I'm talking about movies. Um, DC would be a dicier conversation. <laughs> but, um, I, I, uh,
0: is there a short explanation as to why that is?
1: They just don't have their stuff together, man. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean I'm sorry, just the quality of storytelling is just not there. <laughs> uh, there's some, me. there's some gems, and I'm actually one of the. Uh, Bo and I both are in the minority here. We're um, sort of the remnant, in that we actually do like um, Batman versus Superman. Um, <laughs> we we like Man of Steel, <laughs> uh, Justice League. I, I, I'll be honest. I mean, Justice League. I I was fairly disappointed in, but I did enjoy it um, until Infinity War came out, and then it was just like, oh wait, this
3: is what it looks <laughs> like to be excellent. Yeah, um, got it. Okay. Well, I, here's a if you want to talk DC for a second, though. You know, let's say if you're watching through, you know, the the Chris Nolan Batman series. That's a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a different thing. Like, but what a great series. And what are some of the things that you you know what should we be on the lookout for there?
1: Yeah, so I mean, like the Nolan series particularly, I, uh, I just love the the moral gray of the, of the story. I, lo- I mean even even titling it, of course, getting it from the, the comics, but even the title of The Dark Knight and uh, you know Batman having to take on this persona that's perceived to be kind of a public anathema, right? He's, um, he's inhabiting the polis in all the wrong ways. And him very sacrificially taking on that persona for the greater good. Um, I love to see moral ambiguity and moral tension in a, uh, a, a comic book or superhero film. One thing I really like that's um, – you, you really see it in the Nolan series and you see it a ton, especially like Peter Parker or somebody like that. Or what they're really doing with Tony Stark and his – he's got this compulsion, mostly out of guilt, but this compulsion to – to help to be a sort of a savior as I really like the idea of human desire, like Peter Parker so badly at least this, you know, this, this current iteration is really well done so yeah. badly wants to belong so badly wants to matter so badly wants to be counted as someone Um just a beautiful moment like infinity war. It's really, really kind of humorous and quick, but you know, when um it's clear, Dr. Strange and Iron Man and, and Spider-Man are, headed to uh, space. They're going to go to, to Thanos' Thanos's pl- you know planet Titan. Uh, you know Peter Parker, Spider Man's badly wanted to be one of the Avengers, and finally, you know the die is cast, and Iron Man just sort of kind of mockingly knights him and says, "All right, kid, you're an Avenger." And Tom Holland, the, the actor there, does such a great job of showing how sad and how exciting. That is for Peter Parker, and you just see this desire um, that, I honestly, it's what I, I want to raise my kids in. Like, he wants to be a hero, and I think we all do. I mean, I do think that is sort of the, the heart of myth, is we want our lives to have a kind of story to them that matters. Um, so I love looking for stuff like that. There's all kinds of psychological Themes to pull from, uh, as well as you know, take a Superman and you you can see messianism. I mean, Judeo-Christian messianism, all in it. So there's just a there's a lot, but those are a few for me.
3: So you've you you mentioned Daredevil. We talked a little bit about Batman and some of the and Infinity War a little bit. Let's go let's go deep for a second. What about Jessica Jones? Yikes! <laughs> oh yikes! Uh, you want that one?
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I don't know. I think, Corey, I think you liked Jessica Jones better than I did, didn't you? I um,
1: I liked – all right, so Daredevil
2: really – I loathed it. I'm not going to lie. Um, I loathed <laughs> the show.
1: <laughs> Daredevil set a high bar. Um, it did. And I think I was writing off the uh, – I think I was sort of running on the fumes of Daredevil when they started to fill out the Defenders. So Cage, Luke Cage for me, uh, he had me about halfway through, and then really I started to dislike the show. Um, Iron Fist had all kinds of disappointments to it, but there yeah. were some, some really solid episodes. Um, it had its moments. Had its sure. moments, right? Punisher. I'm a big Punisher fan, and Jon Bernthal loved it, what they've done with him. Bernthal was great. Yeah, it was great. And he was like kind of born for that. And Jessica Jones, to me, um, I there were some moments. And here's what it was: I just like David Tennant. <laughs> True. That's really what to I me. Mean, he kind of, that, that I, I haven't even seen beyond the first season of Jessica Jones.
3: I mean, it was, okay, he yeah, either. but what it's interesting, if I were to, you know, hazard a guess, I think one of the, the, the really unusual things that, you know, I, you, do, you hardly ever see this, uh, except in one other place that I, I, I can remember really in, in comics is this idea of like what happens in kind of moral agency. Yeah, when you have this uh, person that's able to kind of control other people with the sound of his voice, and right. that that unusual—that's some moral grayness right there. Like, what what happens in that respect? Um, and, and I find myself sympathizing with that character. Honestly,
2: oh, sure,
1: he's a malicious character, but I, at times I'm like, well, yeah, I would influence people. Mm-hmm. There's no way I would keep that to myself. I just, I'm just, and maybe that maybe that speaks more to. Uh, my immorality <laughs> than it does to sort, but I just think it's sort of true to the human condition. If I had that kind of capacity, I yeah. would not. I would not steward
3: that gift well. Yeah, putting yourself in the position of both the protagonist and the antagonist in this case is a, is an unusual kind of uh, like it's just a funny way of thinking about it uh, for sure. But that's a yeah, it was an un, really unusual kind of premise. And uh, but what a, I, I I really enjoyed the first season, and I haven't even seen the second. But uh, yeah, very interesting. You know, I mean,
2: I'll, I'll say something nice about, about Jessica Jones. I've seen the <laughs> second season, but I'll say something nice about the first season and I'll, I'll do it in a way to answer, answer your original question about what people should, you know, what should people take from this? What should people look for in these movies and shows to me, the central theme of all of them. And, and this is really where, where they, they really touch politics is that if you look at all of these heroes, um, you know, that their main moral principle is choosing the good of the other before their own good. I mean, that's true. Of, that's true of Iron Man. That's certainly true of Captain America, you know, who's willing to sacrifice his life in the first movie, uh, you know, he easily chooses to to give up his own life. It's true of Thor. It's true of all of them. Uh, you know, that's what to, like to me that's this that's the spirit of that's the spirit of good politics of good state and statesmanship I think that's what's missing from from our politics today you know people who are willing to choose the good of the other before their own good. okay so if when I look at Jessica Jones you know I reacted strongly to that show I hated it I watched it from beginning to end I made I, I made all the way made it all the way through it and it, the thing that the thing that I think I, I dislike, the, the reason it was so hard for me to watch was because she's such an unlikable character. Yeah, like the, the, I was so, so little that I could like about her and yet, and, and, and she's, and she's constantly, uh, you know, mouthing off to people, telling people that she doesn't care that she just, you know, she's a, she's a misanthrope. She, she hates being around people. She doesn't want to do good for people. And yet, and here's where I'm going to say something good about the show. And yet she still does the good thing. She still chooses the good of the other before her own good, mostly. I mean, you know, uh, sometimes kicking and screaming, but she still she still does does for the other. And that's the thing that I think I mean, at at bottom, I think that's what what we ought to take from all of these films, uh, all of these books. Uh, That's the real animating moral principle, I guess.
3: Yeah. Let me let me add to that, too, because the way I kind of interpreted it. On, um, in part, was that you're watching a traumatized individual come to grips with how to re- interact in society in a positive manner. Yeah. And that, that, to me, yeah. I thought was really interesting. Is not something that we'd seen quite uh, in. in is from what I recall, in most other, you know, comic book presentations and in, in film, maybe you can approach that with like Wolverine on some level, uh, but that's like that, thats a whole other yeah. story, right? Yeah. So I, that's what I got—it kind of got out of it—is that she is that misanthrope, and it's because of her experiences, but she's trying like to kind of figure out where. She's not supposed to be liked. You you almost like her right. I mean, in spite of herself sometimes. But yeah, yeah.
2: what a. Well, I do. I, what's funny is once when, she, when
3: she's not in her own show,
2: I, I start to like her. So I, you know, <laughs> I I enjoyed uh, the Defenders a lot, and yeah. I even liked her in it. I just did not. I just could not like her show. I just couldn't. <laughs>
3: Well, I understand. It's a. It's a, It was. A, it was a tough season to watch on a lot from a lot of perspectives, for sure. It
2: really. It really was. And I, And what really, what really turned me off, and and so, it's like, I. I watch these movies. I read these books for the political content as much as I read it for inter, entertainment value. Um. One of the. One of the things I think maybe the thing that turned me off the most about that season is that it got really preachy. Yeah. At times, uh, uh, especially in the 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 episode about the abortion, um, I just I felt like I was being preached at, and that's something I don't like. I I, I like these. Stories to deal with with political issues. I, I don't sure. want them to shy, shy away from political issues, but I also don't want for the for the story, for the the author, for the filmmakers, for the for the showrunners, for the writers. I don't I don't like for them to try to manipulate me. And I felt like at times, especially in the the abortion episode, that I was that I was being manipulated into a position that was really artificial, just so that I would I accept a certain political view, and that that really turns me off.
3: So guys, what do you get? What are you most looking forward to in, uh, in kind of the Marvel cinematic universe or in upcoming comics or whatnot here in the next, uh, in the next year or so? Is there anything in your mind that you're, that for various reasons uh, of your own, you know, professional nature or we're looking forward to political issues that are going to be addressed. What are you guys looking forward to seeing here very soon uh, in, in these sorts of superhero stories?
2: Well, I I think obviously Corey and I both are going to say that we're, we are desperate for uh, Avengers 4 uh, to come out. <laughs> Actually, at this point, we're just desperate for a trailer, for crying out loud. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in On the, the comic side of things, um, I am the Atlantic columnist, uh, Todd Naisey Coates, a uh, very progressive uh, African-American writer. I recently took over writing duties on the Captain America series. And after uh, the Secret Empire... Uh, event, which I won't get into, but it was very traumatic for Captain America fans last year. Uh, after that experience, uh, when I when I read that Ta-Nehisi Coates was going to be writing Captain America, I thought, "Oh no, they're just doing Secret Empire again. They're going to put us through this trauma again uh, because um, you know Coates has very, very let's let's say very strong political opinions that would run counter to." Uh, to what Captain America, you know, claims to stand for. Uh, And so, you know, at first I was anxious, but then I thought, you know, it'll be interesting because here's a guy who's deliberately taking on a character who's so unlike himself. Um, And, and, you know, I, I, held out hope that he wasn't taking, taking, taking on this, this job, uh, just to trash Captain America. And based on the first two issues, he didn't, I mean, he, that's, that's not at all what he's, what he's doing at all. It was, that's not at all what he's doing. Um, it, it looks like he really wants to sort of inhabit Captain America's headspace and see what that's like. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, uh, the rest of what he's going to do, uh, or what he's going to do in the, you know, in the rest of his, his time on, on that book. And then, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to is, uh, Brian Michael Bendis just took over the Superman books and it hasn't happened yet, but he's, uh, he, when it was announced that he was going to start writing Superman, he said that one of the things he was going to do is try and bring Superman back to his Jewish roots because, you know, um, uh Siegel and Schuster were were both uh were both Jews and uh you know you can see I mean there's there's tons of Christian iconography in Superman's story but there's also uh very much the the story of 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 Jewish immigrants in Superman uh, early 20th century Jewish immigrants in Superman as well and so I'm really interested and excited to see what they're going to do with that or what Dennis is going to do with that I mean
1: yeah, I, uh, I I second both of those um, runs. The current Captain America run, the current Superman run. I'm I'm really enjoying them. Looking forward to to more. I mentioned earlier that I'm uh, really enjoying this current Doctor Strange run. I'm a big Doctor Strange fan, so I look forward to seeing how this run will play out. And I look forward to the eventual Doctor Strange sequel in the MCU. And then yeah, the big thing is uh, good grief! Like what and what are they going to do with Avengers four? just dying to know. And, you know, there's all kinds of little individual storylines there that make that, uh, my anticipation all the greater. So like, well, you know, Bo's heard me complain about this a thousand times, but I was so unhappy as many were with what they did with Hulk in infinity war. So what, what are they going to do with that arc and how are they going to redeem him? Um, the, the Captain Marvel movie coming out, I'm really, really fascinated about the chronology of that it's supposed to take place in the, um, in the nineties, I believe. So how they're going to both fill a chronological gap and progress the story with a, with a, uh, you know, movie that takes place in the past. I'm fascinated by that. And then I really want to see, um, I think Bo and I are both excited about the Aquaman trailer. Um, I'm excited about the, the, sort of the buzz around Wonder Woman 1984, and uh, really want to see DC kind of find that magic. Um, you know, I would love to see somebody like a James Gunn. I know he's sort of a figure of controversy right now. I think that's overblown, but it's clear that Marvel's probably, Disney's probably not going to have him back, and DC wants him badly. So I would love to see James Gunn, who I thought did a great job with the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, movies. I would love to see him at DC. Um, it's just, that this is really just the golden age. If you're a comic book fan or superhero nerd, this is, this is the time to be alive. So (laughs) there's a lot to look forward to.
0: Why has Marvel succeeded so well? Like, what have they done to actually like bring people to just give them tons of money? And, and why is DC struggling? Um, and, and I don't mean this to be about Marvel versus DC, but like, there's something really, really poignant about why people are going to these movies. I mean, it, the last few years, people have been kind of criticizing Hollywood for not having unique storylines and how they're like, I mean, we've got like six, you know, we're like, Fast and Furious number forty-five now or something, um, which I'm not. I mean, I've seen at least a couple of them, and I'm not poo-pooing those movies. But uh, but uh, you know, like there's only so many stories in the world, or something like that, is is what I've heard before. And so, why are why are comic book movies so so enticing? And and you guys can just kind of critique anything and, and go any anywhere you want there.
2: Um, well, I th- I think that there are four or five answers that I can think of to that question. The first is. I think people care a lot about superheroes because uh, we live in an increasingly secular age. Uh, you know people don't um, people don't have a religion anymore. Uh, people don't believe in God anymore. Uh, and i think I think something needs to step in and and uh, fill that gap. Uh, I think that's part of it. now when you when you ask why why is Marvel doing so much better than, than d c? Um, I think it's because Marvel Marvel can take the material and present it in a more accessible way than than DC has been able to so far. At least in, in their shared universe. Now, the Dark Knight movies are a different story, uh, but I think that when you look at you know DC's shared universe, uh, they haven't quite figured out how to make this to present their material in a way that's accessible to the average moviegoer. Now, coming from me, that's not a criticism. Uh, I love Man of Steel. I love Batman versus Superman. Uh, I think that I think that BBS is a is a masterpiece, um, and I, I don't use that word lightly. I, I think it's, I mean, it's dense, it's philosophical, it's theological, uh, it's political, and I, I I think that it it just it handles it in a way that appeals to, you know, college professors like me. But I don't think it I don't think it appeals uh, to, you know, the average moviegoer. And I think, I think the magic that Marvel has achieved is that they know how to take ideas that are, that are just as, that have just as much depth and present them in a sophisticated way. That's still somehow accessible to, you know, to people who just want to go sit down and have some popcorn and and enjoy a good movie. Uh, you know, I hope that DC figures out how to do that soon because I don't want to see their universe collapse.
3: And after reading your chapter on Batman V Superman, you're actually making me want to go watch the movie again, which is, I didn't think that was possible, but if you yeah,
2: do I mean, make sure you watch the extended version, there's a, <laughs> yeah. it's there's, there is an important, there's an important difference between the theatrical cut and the, and yeah. the, the extended cut and the extended cut. The extended cut is a better movie.
1: Yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, I think what Marvel's done so well is, uh, you know, I, I wrote about this probably five years ago, uh, which is so much more true now, is they have mastered what I was sort of calling composite storytelling. They just really see the whole. I mean, they see both the the forest and they understand the importance of each tree. And um, DC just seems to be fragmented. They don't have a cohesive vision. And I think really it all has to do with Kevin Feige and uh, his overall sort of, Vision for the the universe there. And uh, so you have that at kind of the macro level. There's just a great vision. Their vision casting is superb and they really do plan and plot so far out. But then it's all about execution. And they're the directors, excellent. The casting, excellent. I mean, just think about the caliber of actors in the MCU. Disney, I mean, uh, DC's, you know, had some again, the no one series is a whole different thing, but uh, DC's had some, uh, uh, Gil, you know, Gil Godot and Henry Cavell and, and, and others, Ben Affleck, questionable, I guess, maybe to some, but, <laughs> but they've had some talent, but they just don't, the stable is just not as deep for DC right now as it is for, for Marvel. So this really, really encompassing vision of what it means to build a story chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. And there's no rogue part in, um, in Marvel. And then the execution and the writing. I mean, the writing is excellent. I thought Infinity War was masterfully directed, really well written, paced well. And they really do have kind of a standard of excellence at Marvel and a cohesion and a sense of who they are. I think they know who they are. And I don't know that DC yet has found who they are.
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm sure our listeners have appreciated a slightly extended version of our podcast uh, because we've been talking for quite a while. So, uh, guys, I just want to thank you for joining us to talk about something that we think is a lot of fun and also uh, important, as is probably clear by now.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
3: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you like today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group. You are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com.